Hey, this is Daniel Midson, short speaker and writer here on World of Speakers with Ryan Folan. Today we talk about my journey as a speaker and how to turn your hobby as a public speaker into a paid profession. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Welcome everyone back to another episode of World of Speakers. Now this podcast is focused on finding people who are speaking around the world that have messages that wanna share, but more importantly, wanna share with you their story, their tips, as well as how they make money while they speak. Ladies and gentlemen, I am excited today because our guest, Daniel Minson Short, there's nothing short about this guy. He's not that tall, don't get me wrong, but he was one of my original mentors in my first Toastmasters experience, and I have seen this guy grow and grow and grow, competing at the world championship level of public speaking. Somebody I look up to, uh, a friend that I have beers with, and I'm constantly learning from as well. So I'm sh- I'm excited to to take all of your brain power, Daniel, and just scatter it across the world during this World of Speakers podcast. How are you doing this morning or after? I'm doing great. How you doing, Ryan? I'm doing great. Good, good. Cheerio, cheerio. Now, uh, we should play a little game. It's called Who Can Have the Worst Accent? Mine is fake <laughs> and yours is real. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I just said to you before, the, before we started talking, your accent gets worse every time I talk to you. It's, <laughs> it's downgraded from quasi-Australian to <laughs> half-English Australian. Now you're just a full English geezer. You've just gone the whole way. <laughs> right, 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 right. <laughs> hey, so... I know that one of the big things that you encounter first when you meet people is their confusion about your accent. So tell us about where you came from. Let's hear about Daniel Mitson short from, uh, you know, running from drop crabs to getting mistaken for, uh, you know, a, an, an Englishman, all that kind of good stuff. You got it. Yeah. So I am originally from Sydney, Australia. I've lived in beautiful Orange County, California, about seven and a half years. So I'm an expat Aussie at this stage of my life and grew up there for the first, goodness, 32 years of my life. So my accent's still pretty strong. And um, yeah, that's that's kind of my my original story and why I'm here in the US today is because I kind of volunteered myself in my company to go west, young man. They, they had an opening and I said, I would like to try my hand being a presenter and trainer over in the US. And it was a big challenge when I started and that kind of led me into the Toastmasters world to practice my speaking and then led to more professional opportunities and then also opportunities to do TED Talks and keynotes and, as you said, compete in the world championships of public speaking. So it's been a bit of a a wild ride the last five years. Now, are you one of those people that have always been outgoing? Have you always been sort of center stage and this is just a natural, you know, evolution of you as a person? No, not at all. I I would say I'm probably what they call an ambivert. I don't know if you've heard that term. It's half introvert, <laughs> no, half extrovert. So okay. yeah, there's kind of there are those people, and I think I'm in that middle ground where I do enjoy being on stage and talking, and it's very fun and fulfilling. But at the same time, I love quiet time, and I have no problem just sitting there in the background. You know, I'm kind of right in the middle there. Um, but yeah, my very early life, which I've told you the story before, I was actually terrified to speak. I was almost a mute child and I used to do strange things like flap my arms and shake all over the place instead of actually verbalizing anything. So it's kind of amazing today that, you know, I've come from that where I could hardly speak and I was a weird little kid to being able to talk on stages in front of thousands all around the world. 
And this path going from uh, say the word again, an amperverter listener. <laughs> Ambi ambivert. So it's, it's <laughs> ambi- you know, it's like having ambidextrous person can write with their left or right hand. It's ambi, yeah. which means both, and then vert. So you're both extroverted and introverted. You're both, and you get to sort of choose back and forth. Now I've been over to your place. We've had some beers, and you are what I would think is I don't know. Do you call yourself a minimalist or an essentialist? What yeah. is your your style? What do you call yourself there? Yeah, I mean that's that's the way I live. I tend to classify myself as a minimalist. I when I moved country seven years ago, I sold everything that I owned, which I recommend doing at some stage of your life if you're feeling brave, just moving to a new place and starting over. And when I did that, I got to the US and I realized, you know what? I didn't need all that stuff. I had all this stuff in my house that was taking up my time and my space, and so I didn't buy most of it back. And so when people like you come to my house, they say where's all your stuff? (laughs) And I say, I don't have much. I just have what I need. And, you know, don't get me wrong. I mean, I have all the things you do need to live, but it keeps your house pretty tidy. And I find it actually keeps your mind very clear because you're not spending your life chasing things. You know, it's very, it's a big trap you can fall into is thinking that you need to get the latest car or the latest clothes or the latest, what's, you know, technology or whatever. But it's amazing when you start to eschew those things, how much you focus on relationships and on your passion and contributing to the world. Now, do you think that influences the type of speaker you are? Are you a minimalistic speaker, if there is such a thing? I definitely am in my presentations. If you ever see my keynotes, you will notice my PowerPoint slides have one word on them usually or a picture. They're very minimalist in that way. There's not a lot of data or details on visually. And I really try to keep most of my presentations to a a maximum of three points, which I learned from this genius guy called Ryan Folland. (laughs) Rule of three, one, I think your your mentor taught you that, right? One, two, three. Three many. many. Yes. (laughs) That's how we count. That's why there's three little pigs. That's why there's three little mice. That's why there's three everything. You'll see that come up and pop up in the world. Three wise men. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. The three, yeah. one, three. Look at that. There's three yeah, elements. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, I think it does actually now you bring that up. I think that minimalist ethos, if you like, that approach to simplicity. And I know you mentioned essentialism as well. That's a book that you recommended to me, which I recommend as well. It's great. Just that. Yeah. That, Greg, Greg McEwen, I think it is. Yeah. It might I think be. so. I yeah. remember his name. Yeah. So, yeah. great concept. Just, you know, really focusing on the things that are most essential, most important to you as a person and then sharing that with the world and people resonate with it. And we'll get more into the speaking tips later. I want to touch on this, but it does make me think that in general, I see people when they give speeches and keynotes, they try sometimes to give too much information. And this idea of being a minimalist, whether it's in your home or in your life and your relationships to this idea of the core, most important elements of what you want to communicate to the audience there's such value in keeping that simple because I think we we're so close to our material. Sometimes we don't realize that people who are experiencing this for the first time, these are like, you know, sometimes groundbreaking concepts and you can't break too much ground or you're going to fall through. Yeah. So uh, I, I appreciate that as a, as a concept and I'm, trying to constantly get rid of stuff too. I'm just not as good at it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's true. You, you're almost, you know, you have this masterpiece that you've created. You fall in love with it and it's a bunch of ideas all built together and they all kind of coincide and work together. But other people just don't care or they don't understand everything the way you do. So you've got to trim it, cut it down. And that's one of the great things about the speech contest that I've entered is that you only have five to seven minutes to share one idea you know, and you have to really 
tailor everything around it. So it's taught me a lot in terms of, okay, this is not essential, this is going. And it's hard sometimes because you love a certain line or a certain joke or certain concept and it just doesn't need it to be there. So It sounds like that's the reason why I love Twitter so much is because you want to say so much, but you're forced to put it into a, a small snippet and your competitive speeches being five to seven minutes is kind of like the Twitter of competitive speaking. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's a real challenge. Let's talk real quickly about Toastmasters. And, uh, you know, I know that that's where we first met and you're still super active. You're one of the most you know, masters at Toastmasters that I know. <laughs> and for those people that don't know about it, I think it might be worth giving them the high level and then we can transition into some of the things that you've learned through Toastmasters, that you've learned outside of Toastmasters and prepare people to you know, be the best speaker that they can be. So what is this Toastmaster thing? Well, yeah. So for those of you who haven't heard of Toastmasters, Toastmasters is a organization worldwide now, which started around 93 years ago, I think, here wow. in Orange County, actually. And it was started by a gentleman who wanted to have a place where people could practice and prepare speeches for their professional career. So very often people don't come born with this skill to get up in front of a group and present. And they need some sort of forum for it. And the way I think of it is it's kind of like a gym for public speaking. Mm. So you go into the the realm and you sit there and you, you work with other people who are on the same journey as you, same as you go to a gym and you have people who are more advanced than you, but you begin your journey the same as them. And you get better and better over time. And the more consistent you are in practicing and going through the different modules that they have, things like professional speaking or speaking for sales training or for negotiating, there's all these different topics that you can focus on, the better you get at those. And almost by accident, because you're practicing so much, when you get into real world situations, you're suddenly good at it. And you go, oh, I can do this now. Almost like you, by surprise, by accident, you know how to become a better speaker. And honestly, for me, it's been almost like a secret weapon in my professional career because I do a lot of communication training and workshops and things. And my peers and, and co-workers would say to me, how are you getting so good? Because they were presenting the same amount as me professionally, but I was behind the scenes. I was working out in the Toastmasters gym every week, every a couple of times a week. So my skill was going up a lot faster. And you've taken that skill and you've branched off into the startup world as well, right? I mean, you are not only a professional trainer in a very interesting industry, by the way, but you've also dabbled into the startup world. How much do you think your ability to effectively communicate has helped you find success in that realm? Yeah, it's an interesting world. I wouldn't say I'm a pure entrepreneur. I think I often label myself as more of a wantrepreneur. You know, so well, I hold on. <laughs> are you? Are you? Or are you an uh, an ambidextrapreneur? <laughs> Maybe an ambi ambipreneur. Who knows? You're an ambipreneur. You're, well, you're either an entrepreneur or you're not, <laughs> but you're both. <laughs> well, I think my skill in the startup world is helping people, sh similar to you, to shape their message. So, you know, I've been involved in a couple of companies and startups where they are very good at getting the idea off the ground, but they can't articulate it well, whether to investors or to their customers. You know, very often you've got to do pitching and things like that. And it's not a skill that they work on until it's time to do the presentation. And the idea is, oh, well, I'll just, I'll just wing it on the day, which, you know, sometimes can work, but a little bit of preparation and thought about the core messaging and the market need and all the things that you have taught me as well. If you can then couple that with this ability to speak, it becomes much more influential. So that's really helped me, you know, being involved in startup businesses as a co-founder and also just assisting friends who've started their own business to be able to present better really has an impact, I think. 
And I, I agree with you completely. You can have the best idea in the world, but if you can't communicate it in a way that not only makes sense, but gets people excited about it, then you're really in an uphill battle in a battle that's already uphill, right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. Definitely. So you're, you're uh, you know, I saw recently that you were named as one of your talks was named as a top 10 choice by Forbes for TED Talks to help you take action. Tell us about that talk. I mean, that's pretty sweet. Yeah. So I think that one for Forbes was pay attention. So I have two TEDx talks that I've done so far and pay attention is a talk that I really, it's one of my core messages I speak about in my keynotes and I've crafted over several years is this idea that, you know, in the world today, it's very difficult to focus and to pay attention to what's important to you. And it kind of, I guess it goes back to that minimalist thing we talked about before, knowing what's most important to you. And I had an experience, and I won't ruin the TED talk in case someone wants to watch it, but I had an experience where I could see very clearly where I was getting distracted from what was important to me in my life while I was on a on a vacation. So it's, yeah, it was a great lesson for me, and it's definitely something, I mean, it sounds kind of corny, but I've gone back and watched my own TED talk a couple of times where I get off track and I think, that's right, that guy has the right message here. I need to listen to that. So, you know, when you're the guy who did the talk, you kind of have to live your message it's kind of good for me so it stopped me from getting too enamored with technology or getting distracted by things that aren't really of value totally i love it and i I know what you mean i talk about bears all the time or people talk to me about bears all the time and uh, i teach them how to not get chased by bears yeah but anybody listening to this i suggest go google daniel mitzen short ted and you'll see these videos pop up definitely worth your time and if you're watching it on your phone you'll probably feel bad afterwards (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> everyone always everyone hates me for that <laughs> <laughs> that's good let's transition into uh, the second part of our show which is really about getting as much high value information as we can from you about how people can improve their speaking skills remember we have people that are aspiring speakers people who are already amazing speakers and want to get better so if we were to focus on maybe three of your top tips what would one of the biggest and best and most impactful be? I would say the first one is to focus on your skill as a speaker, as a first step, because I think that honestly, I see a lot of speakers today who they have a topic that they talk about and they're very, they might be very passionate about it and very knowledgeable about it, but they really just don't have the basic skills down in terms of good eye contact or gesturing or not using filler words or having good posture, voice tone, those little mechanics that come into play, they're almost, they become invisible once you're very good at them. But if you don't work on them to begin with, it's kind of like the fundamentals in football or basketball or hockey or whatever. If you're not good at the fundamentals, you can't really get to a higher level. And it's interesting when you watch very high-level speakers, they're doing them so well that you're not noticing them. It's only someone who's trained in that skill that can say, wow, he's got great transitions or he's very good at pausing or whatever the little techniques are. But that would definitely be something I'm focused on. And the other thing is, especially with something like Toastmasters, if you're practicing the skills going through the motions every week and you're actually getting up and speaking – it takes away the fear factor because I always believe that confidence, self-confidence comes down to competence. So if you know how to do something reasonably well, you have competence, you're actually much more confident. You don't have the fear. And I often use the example of driving a car. I don't pronounce my R, so car. If you're driving, <laughs> if you're driving your car around 
and you don't know where you're going and you're not an experienced driver in that car, you're going to be more nervous. Say you've got a rental car and you're in a new city. But if you're in your own car and you're driving around your own neighborhood, you have a lot of competence. So you feel much more confident in your ability. So that's the kind of thing. If you have these skills, you've worked on the mechanics of speaking, maybe I would say it takes about two years to get good at it. And my little formula is to aim to do 100 speeches. And the way I think of that is if you do one speech a week for 50 weeks, you can have two weeks off a year. In two years, you'll have done 100 speeches. And by the time you reach your 100th speech, I guarantee you'll have competence and you'll also have confidence as a speaker. So that would be the first tip. All right. Well, let's dig a little bit more into that first tip because you talk about these speaking skills. What are some of these things that you're talking about? Because I am speaking right now, but is that considered good practice? (laughs) (laughs) Well, and that's, I mean, we could go for hours on this topic. That's, it is subjective, obviously, what makes a good speaker versus a bad speaker. Right. But what are some, what are these, what are some of these mechanics, right? Because I like this concept. It's not about focusing on the topic, but about the mechanics and having the the wherewithal to plan and do 100 speeches. That's awesome. But, you know, there's kind of this question, can you just learn by yourself or do you have to have other people teaching you really? And if there's a speaker who speech, who speeches, I can't even, I've been learning how to spoke good. Trust me. (laughs) You're on the path, son. (laughs) I come from a family of educators. Okay. (laughs) If, uh, if somebody were to go through a hundred speeches, but not have either feedback or people giving them insights or tips or tricks, couldn't they end up as uh, the same I guess, level of speaking from one to a hundred, like, or do you just inherently learn to become better by yourself? Is it like a natural process? I, yeah, it's a good question. I, th- I think both are the answer to quote Forrest Gump. I think both things are correct. So if you're doing, if you're on the path of practicing a hundred times, you're going to naturally get better at something. But one of the beautiful things about something like Toastmasters is the evaluation process too. So if you go in to do a speech at Toastmasters, maybe the theme of the speech is get to the point. So you have to learn to structure around a particular point or it might be your body speaks. So you have to learn to use gestures to amplify your message. It might be pausing or eye contact or something like that, voice tone, energy. And if you start to focus on those little fundamentals, over time you get better at them. And for instance, if you have someone who's very quiet and shy and comes in to do a speech and you say to them, just speak a lot louder, you know, yell at the audience. For them, their yelling will probably be a normal volume because they're very quiet and timid. And so if you show them that, hey, if you talk very loud, the audience actually resonates better because you have more energy, suddenly they have this almost self-permission and they say, oh, I can talk louder. I'm allowed to. Someone who speaks really quickly, you say to them, just speak really slowly. And so you teach them things like that. And eventually over time, they almost become like an improved version of themselves. So I would say it's both. Definitely just doing the work, going through a hundred speeches is a great, it's a great, uh, you know, milestone. And it's also a, a good practice if you're doing it every week, but then having the evaluations, having the mentoring and also studying the skills of speaking. There's tons of books and podcasts like this one and different things that you can do that will help you to improve along the way. All right. So two things here, not three, but just two. One is that your answer well, I, we're going to make this three, okay? Number okay. one, you'd make a good politician. 
Number two, <laughs> your answer was straight up an ambiguous answer. <laughs> I'm like, what's the answer, Daniel? And you're like, well, it's yes and it's no. So I'm, I'm seeing a theme here with what's going on. Right. Yeah. And then number three is what are these books? Maybe one, two, or three that are off the top of your head. Because I've yeah. had a lot of people ask me this too, and I don't think that there are that many books about public speaking that I've found really help. But what are your, some of your favorites? Some of my favorites, one would be TED Talks by Chris Anderson, the guy who started TED. He just finished, I think he just published that last year. And it's a great book because it's very technical about speaking in terms of why to do something, why not to do something. And he uses examples that you can then Google and look at the actual videos. So that's probably my favorite in the last year. Okay. Some other ones that I really love are World Class Speaking by Craig Valentine, who is the 1999 world champion of public speaking. He's got great ideas about just how to communicate with an audience, how to tell stories, how to connect and be very human. Uh, A third one would be, there's a great book by a guy called Scott Birkin, which is B-E-R-K-U-N, and it's called Confessions of a Public Speaker. And the reason I like that one is because it's very honest about the real world of public speaking the travel aspect, you know, getting to the venue and feeling prepared and what happens if an audience falls asleep, (laughs) you know, things like that, that you you don't realize until you're actually up on stage that, oh, not everyone loves me. Okay. You know, so he's, he's very honest about the actual real life of speaking. And then a fourth one that I'm still reading right now, I haven't finished, but I'm really liking is Steal the Show by Michael Port, P-O-R-T. And he actually has a podcast, I think, called Steal the Show as well. He comes from more of an acting world, so he sort of he blends the idea of being an actor and a speaker, and it's very interesting. It, you know, he talks about the motivation you have as a speaker and being in the right state and different things like that. So there's there's four, not three. No, no, it's only three because technically one you haven't finished yet. So we're not going right, to. But it's so good, I have to add it in there. So. Yeah, well, it's, that's you know, you have your you have your three books, and then you happen to share with us that there is an, there's another one you're reading. Okay, that's good. I like that. Now, the second big tip that you have for people to improve their speaking skills is? It is work on your content. So I said in the beginning you want to work on your mechanics or your your speaking fundamentals. The second is definitely to work on your content. And I think this is the one that a lot of people also think, oh, I know a little bit about this topic and so I can just get up and talk about it, especially if it's your own business or your own life experience or something like that. But I have learned that the deeper you understand a topic, the more you become an expert on it, the more engaged the audience becomes with what you're doing, especially if they're asking you questions before or after the event. You know, So if you're speaking on the stage and then after people come up and ask you questions, the depth of your understanding and knowledge around the topic starts to show. And it also increases your confidence because you really feel like, I know this topic, I believe in the message that I'm sharing here, the tips and the ideas that I have. And I think a great example of that would be someone like Elon Musk, who isn't a great speaker in the fundamentals, if you watch him. I love Elon Musk, but you watch his interviews and his speaking. He's not the greatest fundamental speaker, doesn't have those skills down, but his passion for his topic and his depth of knowledge is so profound that it almost carries him in that way. So you can only imagine if he actually worked on the fundamentals of speaking, how influential he would be. I mean, he already is, right? But he's a great example of someone who just really studies and understands at this incredible depth his businesses and his goals for his business. And we actually went and visited the SpaceX facility together, which we did. 
which is very cool. If anybody has or has not done that. We did. We didn't get to see Elon, but it was very cool. Yeah, he was there in spirit. We were seeing all of his uh, – we were experiencing the depth of his knowledge. Exactly. So, yeah, working on your content would be my second tip. And, again, if you're working, say, for two years on your fundamentals, at the same time, if you have something you want to speak about, really study that topic and understand the history of it, why you came up with the idea. You know, you can journal about it. You can take notes. And the other thing you can do is you can do the same speech over and over and over again, refining and iterating, making a five-minute version, a 20-minute version, a 45-minute version, trying to do it in podcast format or video format to play with the message to tighten them down. The more you do that, the more effective it is when you get to the end of that, that two years and you're going to have great content alongside your, your uh, mechanics. So would you uh, – there's – a concept out there that to be an expert, you have to know just a little bit more than everyone else. Are you along the lines with that? Or is this a, a bit different saying it's not about knowing a little bit more than everybody else? Just know it to the best of your ability so deep that you, uh, you know, you, you just continue to dig all the way to the center of it. Yeah, I would, I would be the second one. I would say keep, keep going. Even if you've done 50 keynotes on one topic, keep studying it because it makes you fresh. It makes you passionate about what you're learning. And look, certainly, I mean, if you know a little bit more than other people, it will get you by to a certain point. But if you want to be a renowned expert on something, if you want to be known for a particular topic, you have to be almost the world champion of that topic, let's say. <laughs> you have to know it better than anyone else. Hmm. Okay, I dig that. That's a good number two. How do, do you have any suggestions on how to choose that topic? And I guess a secondary question to that is um, this concept of being, you know, really good at a lot of different topics versus just solely focused on one? Because I think there might be this inclination that the more topics you can speak on, the better. But what is your opinion on that versus being the one person that is called on to speak about the one topic, which might make it seem like you're losing opportunity otherwise? Yeah, it's kind of counterintuitive because you think that, well, the more things I can talk about, the more audiences I can reach, right? But you're more generic over the, the spread of the topic. So if you're talking about being motivated or overcoming fears or starting your own business or whatever it is, if you're not an expert, a really deep expert in that particular topic, you'll find that someone else will kind of take the lead on it. And so if you look at someone like, um, say, Simon Sinek, for instance, I'm a big fan of his work. If you look at the way he started, you know, he started off with more of a management consulting kind of position talking about why companies, some companies succeed and he had the book Start With Why and then Leaders Eat Last. So he was in that real world of management consulting and business. But then suddenly when that, that viral video went out about his discussion about millennials in the workplace, you could see the depth of his knowledge in that particular topic. And he just talked almost off the cuff for 20 minutes. And it was so important and so clear what he was talking about that it just resonated and took off. And I think that's an example of if he chooses in the future to go down that road in terms of just talking about millennials and how that's changing, I think he's going to have a huge impact because he is such a, a well-researched, understood author on that topic. So sometimes the reason I'm saying that is sometimes the topic finds you in ways you don't expect. So I started off more as a real generic, motivational, inspirational type speaker where I was talking about things like being motivated and being focused and overcoming distractions and that kind of thing. And slowly that started to morph into this idea of how technology is influencing our relationships in the world because that's the thing that I think I'm most fascinated by today is technology has both good and both bad things about it 
that are causing us to advance, but also to almost regress in some ways. And I'm really interested in that topic of relationships and how that influences uh, technology influences that. So that's becoming my topic out of the fact that every time I would speak, I'd have a piece of that in my keynote or in my presentation and people would come up to me and say, I really like how you said that. That's true. I need to think about that. So, And that's how I developed the TEDx talks that I did too. It was topics that people would tell me, yes, I really like what you said. And so I'd, I'd sort of double down on that part of the talk. I think that. That all makes a lot of sense. And I think people can relate to that or at least be inspired by it. Rounding up the top three tips from Daniel Mitzenshort, number three is... Number three is one that I learned from being a part of the speech contest for Toastmasters, trying to win the world championship of public speaking, which is a life goal for me. So I'm putting it out here today, Ryan. I will be a world champion of public speaking one day. And 25 years from now, someone will listen to this and say, wow, that's amazing. He's right. But right now, it's my goal and I'm focused on it. However, one of the challenges of competitive speaking is you become obsessed with winning. You want to win all the trophies and the contests and be labeled the winner. And you start to forget that the audience listening to you actually are the most valuable part of your speech. And I think that my most profound lesson the last couple of years is that speaking is an act of service. So you are actually there to give to the audience, give value, give your time, give your attention, give your love to the audience, if you want to say. And what that does is that it makes the audience love you back. They want to listen to you. They want to connect with you because they can see you're there to give, not to try to get. And you can kind of tell someone when they get up to speak, if they have an agenda where they're trying to show off or they're trying to get you to buy something or they're trying to get you to do something, it's on their agenda instead of giving versus a speaker who just genuinely wants to share something of value. And I think over time, those speakers rise to the top because they just genuinely want to share something that contributes to their audience. So my third tip is speaking is an act of service. I dig that. And I think that that really is a great transition to uh, essentially the third part of our podcast, which talks about how you can take that service as a core, right? Not not as a service like you're offering a product, but the service of really serving people. And in an ideal yeah. world, that can turn into a career. It can turn into an extra income. It can turn into a side hustle. And I think that focusing on the service first is important. And then being able to get out there and you know using that message and monetizing it, there's no shame in that game. Absolutely. So I know this is something that uh, you know you're actively working on, but what are some of the things that you're you're privy to or that you're noticing or that you're picking up from other individuals who find success with this? What are some of your insights and tips to monetize this message of service? Yeah, it's a good question. I've never been a speaker who really wanted to, you know, be a best-selling author or have some, you know, audio program or something like that. It just wasn't my desire or motivation. And I'm certainly not saying it shouldn't be. Some people love that aspect. They want to be a writer. They want to be selling programs and having income that way. It's a great way to further your value. I think what I've learned most of all is that if you really focus on the quality of what you're doing, the message, the the fundamentals and the mechanics of your speaking ability, and you have the right intention, it actually starts to come to you. Hmm. And I've always focused on my speaking as almost like a hobby. And it's kind of like, a, you know, you said side hustle might be another way to put it as well. It's something where I've always had a career as a consultant and as a, as a professional trainer. 
And that's been on purpose because I wanted my speaking to come from the heart. I didn't want to feel like, you know, oh, I have to go and chase speaking gigs so I can put food on the table or whatever. I wanted it to be this thing where I love to do this and I do it as much or as little as I want. And I think there does come a point, talking to a lot of professional speakers, where you start to make money from it. And I've had that where I've been paid very well to speak. And you start to think, oh, if I could just do 10 of these a month, I'd be rich, you know. But sometimes 10 speeches a month doesn't actually fulfill you the same as two fulfills you. And you've got to really find that balance for yourself. So what I've noticed is that I'm starting to ask to be paid because I feel like the value of what I'm providing is actually there. Because as you know, and a lot of speakers listening to this will know, you can speak for free as much as you want. You know, especially in the early days, I recommend it because you're practicing. But as time goes on, people will get excited about your message or your skills and they'll say, oh, can you speak at my event? Can you come and do this here? It'd be wonderful to have you here. And it's very flattering. You think, oh, yeah, I'd love to. But then you notice that, hey, you're spending two, three, four, five nights a week out speaking places and it's costing you money and it's costing you time out of your life. So what I've learned to do is think of it as a value exchange. So if someone asks me to speak, I'll tell them now, well, certainly I'd be open to that. I do charge a speaking fee, which is, you know, I tell them what it is. And if they really get shocked and they say, oh, well, we can't pay you for that event, I'll say to them, well, look, it's not typically something I do for free unless it's for a charity or something like that. So I've started to put barriers in place of me speaking everywhere. And that's a little lesson that I'm still learning. I'm still becoming confident doing that because I've over the years, I've spoken so much for free that it's become almost my default. And so now I've had to say, you know what? There's value here. I'm providing this value and I've got to ask to be paid for it. And surprisingly, when you ask, very often people say, okay, and they pay you. So that's, uh, that's something that I've definitely in the last, I would say, six to 12 months started to say, wow, I can actually get paid for this because the hard work of the fundamentals and the content creation has been done. And now it's time to actually, while I'm giving out the value, while I'm serving my audiences, actually receive value back, which is in payment. And I think that's a great way to look at it, really from a perspective of just having it show up. And I think that just like if on a sales call, you need to pay your rent and you're broke, they're going to smell it. In the same respect, if you are trying to pitch yourself and your services, but you're trying to also make it about getting paid, I think people smell it. And I think that the best way to get paid for speaking is to have people want to pay you versus asking for it. And I've seen a a big turnaround from my own speaking career where I was out there scraping and scrapping to get anything. And now a lot of things are inbound where people reach out to me or they'll hear something that I've done or they'll see me and then it, it turns into this conversation. And I'm at a certain point where I have so many things going on. It's not that I have to ask for money. It's just that people realize there needs to be money for it to uh, have me pay attention. And I've been playing around with this concept of paying versus paying attention. I think there's an interesting combo because if if you are going to get somebody's attention and they're a high profile or they're a public figure or they're somebody sought after, it almost becomes assumed that you have to pay for their attention. And I think it's a very positive outlook to where the more attention you can get on yourself and your message around what you're serving people, the more people will know that they have to pay you to get attention. And you've got to pay attention to that process. Yes, definitely. And it's kind of like the, you know, I mean, someone who wants to be an NFL player. I mean, you're not going to go from, 
from nothing to an NFL player in one year. I mean, that's like 15 years of college football and training. And I mean, there's so many years of that happening where you work for free, you know, to get to that point where suddenly you get a contract, right? And that's just common knowledge. Well, that, that doesn't happen. I mean, even, you know, someone like LeBron James who didn't go to college, he still worked his butt off to get to the point where he was skilled enough to be drafted. So that, that reality is there and people, it shows up in your ability too. So when you get on stage and you can confidently speak and you talk about something of merit and of value, suddenly people go, wow, this is worth paying for. They want to know more. And it almost happens naturally because they're, they're, it's almost like the needle tips the other way. First of all, they're neutral about you and then they're very passionate about what you can do. And, uh, and, and you know, it's very nice when you get compliments and things like that, but I think as a speaker, there comes a point where you have to say to yourself, okay, I've done the work now. Now I need to start asking for payment or for opportunities or whatever it is. And I think if I can just add to one thing you've helped me a lot with is you're very good at seeking out opportunities. You know, you're almost like a fisherman or a hunter. You're always looking for new ways to do things. And I've learned that from you where I've learned to say, hey, could I speak at that event? Is that something I could be associated with? And so if you, as a speaker are out there thinking about how, where's my next gig coming from? What can I do to grow my influence and to add more value to people? I think that also attracts more of those paid opportunities to you. Yeah. And there's, uh, to speak on that, it is something that I do. I mean, I, I applied to 12 different TEDx talks before I got my first one. And then I got asked to do a second one and I'm, you know, uh, I'll continue to do more, but there's, I believe you have to be somewhat humble in that approach and not be fearful that that's part of the process. Like there's no shame in uh, nominating yourself for something that you think you could be, you know, recognized for. Exactly. But at the same time, it takes something like that. Like you've got to, the snowball has to start. You've got to get the snow together and put a fistful and then keep it going. And I talk about this with the personal branding course that we do uh, at Influence Tree, and it's about success stacking. Mm. Right. Once you're featured in Inc. once, it's easier to get featured in Entrepreneur. Once you're an Inc. and Entrepreneur, it's easier to get featured in Forbes. Once you're an Inc. Entrepreneur, Forbes, and it starts stacking upon each other. But there's no shame in just totally scraping for that starting point. Scrape together the snow so you have somewhere to go. Definitely. There you go. That even rhymes. Hey, I might have to illustrate that with a stick figure. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. And, and that's a great example. I mean, you're great at, you know, the, the stick figures that you draw. You know, you are becoming known for that because they're valuable and they're consistent and they're unique. And so people are starting to know, well, I certainly do. And I know a lot of people who enjoy them too, because it's a simple concept. I mean, really anyone could have done that, right? Right. Put together stick figures and, and written something that's clever or relevant, but you do it consistently and the value has built because of that. Yeah. So that's a key message too. And that's, that's a very analogous to speaking, right? If you're consistent with your speaking, well, first of all, speaking is something that anyone can do who has the ability to speak. Even somebody like Stephen Hawking, who doesn't have the ability to speak, can still yeah. communicate. And I talk a lot about how success doesn't happen because those people are doing things that nobody else can do. Success happens because successful people do things that everyone can do, but not everyone does. And that I really believe, and it's almost very in line with what your first comment was, is just focus on what you're doing and these opportunities will show up. It's almost like when you're trying to find a girlfriend or boyfriend or a partner and you're so fixated on finding somebody that it just doesn't work. 
And then exactly. you just stop and you're like, even out of frustration, like, that's it. I give up. I'm done. And all of a sudden, exactly. and I'm sitting on a plane next to somebody talking with them for four hours and, you know, the rest is history. Um, exactly. I think that that's an interesting concept. Well, very cool. Yeah. Any, any other uh, kind of insights on, you know, maybe how you found success with actually making money? I would say one of the thing, and you've taught me this as well, is don't be afraid to label yourself or name yourself as a speaker. Hmm. I think for a long time, as I said, it was always a side hustle or a hobby for me. So I, you know, on my social media and things like that, I would always think, oh, I'm not going to like write down that I'm a, because I was more of a consultant than a trainer. I thought, I don't want to write I'm an inspirational speaker. That seems silly. But then I realized, you know what? I need to put this out there. I need to be brave and say, this is who I am and this is what I love to do. And interestingly, when I started to do it, other people started to see me as that. And so now when people think of me, they think of inspirational speaking. It's just starting to happen in my personal life, in my professional life. And because I've done some TED Talks now, because I'm working towards winning the world championship and I'm in the higher levels, I'm known now as a more skilled speaker. And so very often people will say, oh, I've been following your journey. You're doing so well and you're speaking. And that never happened before because I wasn't brave enough to share the journey. And I think actually I, I know that comes from Gary Vaynerchuk too. He says, you know, catalog or, to, or um, document your journey along the way. And so I've been doing that more and more. And it's amazing how that inspires people as well. Just being brave enough to say, I am becoming this or I'm an emerging version of, you know, I'm an emerging speaker and I'm an emerging entrepreneur, whatever it is, having the courage to put it out there to people, they admire it. And then they think of you in that way, which attracts more success. Yeah, I love this concept. And it really comes down to personal branding. And my definition of personal branding, your brand is the intersection between what people already think about you and what you want to be thought about. Nice. And unless you go out there and tell people, this is what I want you to think about me, then they're going to think a whole bunch of stuff, like everything that they see. But once you plant the seed in their mind of what you want to be known for, then miraculously, and it's actually evolutionary, their brain will start to look for things that reinforce that. Yes. If you're driving the car and you think to yourself, oh my gosh, I'm going to be late. It seems like there's more traffic. You're panicked. You look at the clock more. Time seems to just like you look for elements that will reinforce your thoughts. Yeah. And so if you can help to create the perception of in someone's, you're not convincing them of something that you're not. You're just helping to identify of the five or six things that you know about me. I've got a weird accent. I've, I'm uh, this and that, whatever, right? You, you identify <laughs> that inspirational speaking is one of them that you're excited about and they'll start to think of you that way, introduce you to people that way. And that really comes top of mind. Even a little a hack when it comes to social media. If I look at your profile on Twitter, you have a microphone in your hand. I know immediately yes. that you're a speaker. And so that's a really easy way to sort of put out there into the world, incorporate something visually to help that first impression online as well. Yes, definitely. And you'll notice too, um, if you look at all my social, it's, and I've learned this from you, it's very consistent. And it says exactly all the things we've talked about today, speaker, writer, expat, minimalist, it's all those things, right? right? right. Because that's who I identify myself as. And it's interesting. People are like, well, what's an expat? What's a minimalist? Oh, what do you speak about? What do you write on? And they want to actually know. And so being courageous in that way, I find that, that attracts business and interest to you. So that's something I've definitely learned from you and from Leonard Kim as well is just to be open and be overt with your personal brand. I like that overt personal branding. 
<laughs> yeah. Shameless. <laughs> Not too shameless. You don't want to be pushing it on people, but no, it's saying, a, hey, it's this, a fine is, line. this is who I am, world. Yeah. It is a fine yeah. line. But the thing is, people don't feel like they have control over what comes up when someone searches their name online. And that is true only if you are not out there communicating who you are. Because yes. the more you establish yourself as what you want to be seen as, the more likelihood eventually that you'll get featured in a major publication. Exactly. That when someone references you in something, they'll reference you as that. And yes. that really, I think, is powerful because it gives you choice in that element. With something like Google, which feels like you have no control, you do have control if you're out there positioning yourself. Yes. So here's a final question. Final question for the final of the final. Final. (laughs) The difference between the two phrases, professional speaker or public speaker. Do you have any thoughts preferring one or the other or one's good, one's bad? You use them both. Maybe it's a um, ambidextra vocabulary for you. (laughs) (laughs) I would say the biggest difference is, and I would say I'm an emerging professional speaker. I'm moving into that realm. So I'm, you know, I'm still learning, obviously. But I would say, you know, anyone can be a public speaker. If you do a speech at your friend's wedding or something like that, you you just did public speaking. You know, the second you talk to two people in a crowd, in, in a group, you're a public speaker. But there's a difference. A professional is someone who takes it to the next level, kind of like a professional chef or a professional race car driver or something. You know, that's that's the thing that they do and they're known for. So if you want to move into the realm of professional speaking, yes, you want to get paid for it. That's a big part of being a professional. But more than that, you want to have the world-class skills that you, so you can compete against the other people who are also saying, I'm professional. You know, you And not that you have to go into a contest, but you have that level of skill and ability. And that takes time. You know, you don't become a chef in two days. You don't become a professional public speaker in two days. This is my fifth year I've been working on this. And it will probably take me till my eighth or tenth before I start to really get more, um, you know, headwind and people start to really know me. And I know that it's a long journey. So I would say it's someone who says, I want to be one of the best and I want to give this as something of value to the world. That's what makes them professional. I dig it, dude. I think that is all great information. I'm super excited to have you on the show. It's always fun to talk. And thank you. I think that really at the end of the day, you bring a unique perspective of someone who basically picked up and moved to this foreign country. And I love the fact that you're walking your way through it. I mean, it was a hobby and you got traction. You see the value with it. You're still not even saying you're a professional speaker, but I think you are. You're still humble enough to say you're an emerging professional speaker. And it's really about the journey. Yes. So if somebody wants to follow on your journey as you go to win the world championships of public speaking, where's the best way to follow you? And uh, where would you sort of direct them to find and explore your content that I know you create consistently as well? Yeah, so you can just Google my name, Daniel Mitzenshort, and you've got my website there. It's mitzenshort.com. You've got my Twitter, my Instagram, my Facebook. It's all at mitzenshort. So it's all very consistent and easy. And yeah, just send me a message or add me, follow me, and I'll follow you back and we'll keep in contact. Right on. Well, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, professional speakers, speakers who are trying to become speakers, this has been another amazing episode of the world of speakers bringing to you the best people to get you the best information so you can take that message, you can serve everyone with your words, and hopefully make some money at it. This is Ryan Folland and Mr. Daniel Mitchenshort. If you would join me in saying with your best Australian accent, good eye, mate, we'll say it together on the count of three. <laughs> One, two, three. Good eye, mate. Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>
<laughs> All right, buddy. We'll see you online. Chat soon. Bye. Bye.